Well, I want to wish everyone a happy new year, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. I get the distinct privilege on most Sunday mornings uh, to worship a little bit in our summit service and to worship a little bit in our celebration service. And uh, I love my church. Isn't this a great blessing uh, for all of us to be a part of a church uh, that has stood for the Lord and for God's word uh, for many, many years and still stands uh, proclaiming uh, the glory and honor of God every Sunday morning. Well, uh, Christmas is in the rear view mirror, uh, but I have one more Christmas message. Uh, in our series, Deciphering Christmas Mysteries, I want us to turn to Mary. We've talked a little bit of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the last few weeks, but I want us to focus today on something that Mary said, uh, something very profound. In fact, you heard a little bit of that in uh, the celebration worship this morning as someone read some of her words. I want us to dig deeply here today to see something valuable in the words that she shared, but I want us to look even beyond those words, and I want to infer some things today that I think may surprise you. They surprised me, and I think will be an encouragement uh, to all of us in our walk uh, with the Lord. Uh, there was something very different about Mary, uh, perhaps not as you're thinking. I don't know that there were a lot of differences between Mary and other young ladies uh, who lived at that time in that location in Nazareth, 15, 16, 14 perhaps year old ladies. Uh, I think Mary was probably a lot like most other uh, young ladies in her community. But there is a great difference between Mary and 15 and 16 year old young ladies today and a big difference between Mary and most of us today, and that's what I want us to focus on. I'll tell you even before we begin today that this is going to be a really bad sermon. Uh, we, um, as, as preachers, uh, are supposed to stand and teach the original message of the text, of the text of God's Word. And I remind you that the words, the sentences, the paragraphs in the Bible, they mean something particular. We can't just assign our own meanings to what it is that we read. It cannot mean one thing to you and something else to somebody else. The Word of God means what it has always meant. Now, it might have a little application difference from time to time and from person to person, but the Bible means what it meant, and it'll always mean what it meant. And so if you ever hear a preacher stand and take a passage of Scripture and turn it into some allegory that just ignores the original meaning of Scripture, that's a preacher who's not faithful to God's Word. If you ever hear a preacher stand and recreate the meaning of a passage of Scripture by filtering it through some contemporary cultural lens, then that's a preacher who is not faithful to God's Word. If you ever heard a preacher, ever hear a preacher, who will use a passage of Scripture just as a launching pad to bring his own thoughts and his own perspectives, that is not a faithful preacher. 
Now, hopefully, I won't commit any of those sins. I want us to look at this passage about Mary and the words of Mary, and I want us to see what they meant 2,000 years ago and that they mean the same thing today. We'll be careful to do that, but here's what I want to do today that would earn me a bad grade in a preaching class. I want us, after we do that to then try to infer something. I want us to see if we can do some investigative reporting, if we can do some crime scene investigation, and we can look at something that Mary says, and we can figure out something about Mary's heart, and further, that we can figure out something about the home that Mary grew up in. That's what we want to do, and that's where we want to land this morning. So we'll be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 46. There are about 10 verses here that are known as the Magnificat. Uh, That is the Latin word for magnify. And when the Bible was translated into Latin by a man by the name of Jerome, we call that translation the Vulgate. And in fact, he did that in the late fourth century in a room, in a building, in a room that still stands today. I was able to visit that room back in July of this year. But when he translated this passage into Latin, uh, the first word of verse 46 is the Latin word magnificat. And so uh, since then, we've just called this soliloquy that Mary gives, this A psalm of praise that she gives, we call it the Magnificat. Now, this is extraordinary for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that here we find the very first Christmas carol. Now, I've never heard anybody try to sing it. I don't know that you could put it to a tune, but this is it. The first Christmas carol, Mary... Uh, says these words while she's pregnant with Jesus. She's visiting with Elizabeth, uh, a, a relative of her who was also pregnant and who would give birth to the one we call John the Baptist. And while they're having a conversation, Mary breaks out in praise and extols the Lord for what he was doing in and through her. And so here it is, these 10 verses. So let's just... Let's just walk through this. We'll begin in verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is the fullness of Mary engaged in praising the fullness of God, rejoicing in the Lord. Now it's important to note here that Mary magnifies Jesus, Mary does not magnify herself. And we'll see this repeated in the next few verses, but that's just an important note to make as we begin. Uh, There's no reason in the Bible to magnify Mary. We must see Mary and how she magnified the Lord. Look at verse 48, 49. It says, because, it's an important word here, because. Why would she magnify the Lord? Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. 
what she has, uh, what the Lord has done is he's looked to Mary. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because why will generations call her blessed? Because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Why will Mary be called blessed? Not because of something about Mary, but because of what the Lord has done. Because the mighty one has done great things. Now, why is it important that all generations call her blessed? Here's why it's important. The story of Mary is the story of God out of his kindness, mercy, and grace doing something in her life that she didn't do and that she didn't earn. And that's a beautiful thing because that's what God does in our lives, right? When I was saved and as I am being saved, this isn't God honoring my virtue. My salvation is about God doing something out of his kindness for me, though I do not deserve it. And so Mary is called blessed in all generations because it's a reminder that what God did for her, God has done, God has done for us. Let's look at verse 50. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. So here we have a shift. Mary begins by talking about what God has done for her. Now she talks about what God has done for us. Uh, verse 51 and 52, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Now, God doesn't have an arm. That is uh, just a literary device uh, that uh, the scripture often uses to help us understand the might and the power of God. And we see that repeated throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms. Look at verse 53. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent away the rich. Uh, God responds to those who call on him and seek his help, seek his salvation. But God brushes away those that view themselves as self-sufficient. And then verses 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel Remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. So here now, Mary talks about what God has done in the past. So she talked about what God was doing for her, then what God was doing for us, and then what God has done in the past for Israel. Now this last part is perhaps the most important part of what she says uh, she says that God had done something for Abraham. That would have been many, many years before this. God had done something for Abraham that counts for us today. What is she talking about? Well, perhaps the most, uh, perhaps the most important part of the Old Testament is Genesis chapter 15, where we see exactly what Mary is talking about. There's a man by the name of Abraham, and God makes Abraham a promise. And it's an impossible promise. It is an unlikely thing to happen. But Abraham believes God to be speaking the truth. And Abraham trusted 
that God would do what God said he would do. And then, this is the amazing thing, God counted that, that trust. God counted that as righteousness. Now, righteousness in this context means a right standing with God. So how did Abraham have a right standing with God? It wasn't because Abraham kept all of the rules. It wasn't because Abraham never sinned. God said, you trust me and I will count that trust as a right standing with God. So we call Abraham the father of our faith. Why? Because exactly the same thing happens today. See, there are two ways to be right with God. One way, you could live a perfect, sinless life. You could never be selfish. You could never do the wrong thing. You could never have the wrong thought. You could never influence somebody negatively. And you could always do the right thing and always put other people first and have a perfect record of righteousness your entire life. That would be one way to be right with God. None of us do that, right? There is another way to be right with God. You could trust God. And God says, I will count that as righteousness. You see, what God did for Abraham created the pattern of what God does today. And that's why Mary mentions that here at the end of her Magnificat. So that's the Magnificat. Ten verses, uh, Mary's soliloquy of praise uh, for the Lord and about the Lord. But now I want to go back through this passage and I'm going to go through it quickly. In fact, you'll be frustrated at how quickly we're going to go through it again. Uh, but, but just trust me, there's a purpose in this. I want to go back through this same passage very, very quickly. And I want you to notice something that you might not notice if you don't look at it in the way we're going to look at it today. So we have to remember before we start this second run through, every word in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so every word in the Bible is true because it ultimately comes from the heart of the Holy Spirit of God. And so every word is inspired. Yet the Holy Spirit, when he inspires scripture, does not create it apart from the person who writes it down or who speaks it forth. The Holy Spirit works through that speaker or that writer's life, works through his or her mind, works through his or her experiences in life. That's why though everything the apostle Paul wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And everything that Luke wrote is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you read what Paul writes in the New Testament, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Romans and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and, 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 and several other letters. If you look at the things that Paul wrote, you see that Paul had a certain vocabulary. There was a way that Paul said things. But then you look at the things that Luke wrote, Luke wrote Luke, that won't surprise you, but Luke also wrote the book of Acts. If you look at how Luke wrote, he used different words and he had different ways to explain things. See, 
The Holy Spirit inspired both, but he inspired it through the minds and the experiences of the person that wrote it down. So when Mary gave this soliloquy, every word she spoke was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But she was not saying things that were unfamiliar to her. No, the Holy Spirit inspired her to say things that she had already thought in her mind, things that she had already experienced in her life. Okay, with that knowledge, let's go back through this. I'm not going to read it all, uh, but if you go back and look in your Bible at the beginning, verses 46 and 47, that should sound, those words should sound very familiar to us because... I know you never forget anything I preach. And on August the 28th, 2022, I know you're thinking this. I preached on 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2. You remember that? I know you do. And in that message, I read to you another soliloquy of praise, so to speak, where Hannah, a lady by the name of Hannah, spoke to the Lord in prayer. And you know what? Mary, even in those first two verses, copies much of what Hannah said. And if you go back through all of this passage and you set it next to the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2, you'll notice that repeatedly Mary patterns her Magnificat with Hannah's prayer. In fact, in the sermon notes, I'll talk about it in a moment or two, I have a list of 10 different ways that Mary uh, copied, so to speak, what Hannah said in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Now, one other note here in 46 and 47, just hang with me here. I'm going to make a lot of comments very quickly, and then we're going to tie these together. Also, in verses 46 and 47 that we see here, we see that Mary talks about what it's like to receive the kindness of the Lord. And she uses certain vocabulary to refer to that. And this is the antithesis of what Job experienced when he experienced God removing his hand of kindness. Job chapter 7 verse 11, it's clear that Mary when she said what she said knew what Job said when he said what he said in Job chapter 7 verse 11. Now, let's, let's look at the next couple of verses, 48 and 49. When Mary says, looked with favor, that comes from what Hannah said in 1 Samuel chapter 1 when she was speaking to Eli, 1 Samuel 1, 18. When she said, call me blessed, scholars suggest that that is an allusion to Genesis 30, 13. When she says, mighty one, she was copying that from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. When she said, done great things for me, she was patterning that after Deuteronomy 10, 21 and Psalm 126, 3. Now let's go to the next verse, verse 50. That verse is connected to, is an allusion to Deuteronomy 5.10, Deuteronomy 7.9, Psalm 33.11. Let's go to the next verses, 51 and 52. Here again, Hannah, her prayer is referenced by Mary in these two verses. 
And then when Mary says he has done a mighty deed with his arm, she is alluding to Psalm 98.1. When she says he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts, she has patterned that sentence after Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 1. When she says he has toppled the mighty, scholars say she had in mind Job 12.19. Let's go to verse 53. Hang with me. Here again, we see allusions to Hannah's prayer, especially 1 Samuel 2, 5, 1 Samuel 2, 7, and 8. And we see in these verses a direct quote from Psalm 107, 9. Now let's go to the next two verses. When she says, servant Israel, she's using vocabulary directly from Isaiah 41, 8, and 9. When she says, remembering his mercy, she's making an allusion to Malachi 3, 6. When she says, as he spoke to our ancestors, he's connected to Psalm 105, 7 through 11. Now, if you look closely at what Mary said, the Magnificat, you see unmistakable connection between her words and the words of the Old Testament. Here's what some... Bible commentators said, Joel Green, New Testament scholar, said Mary's song is a virtual collage of biblical texts. John Wolverd said the Magnificat consists almost entirely of Old Testament allusions and quotations. And Warren Wearsby, another Bible commentator, said it seems that Mary hid God's word in her heart and then just turned it into a song. Now here's what I want you to see. Here's what I stand amazed at today. Mary, most likely between the ages of 14 and 16, I tell you that just so you know that Mary had not studied scripture for decades. She had not lived for decades. Mary was almost certainly illiterate. Even if her father was literate and 50-50 perhaps, uh, even if he was literate, he would not have had a copy uh, of the scriptures. They didn't have that in their homes. You'd have to go to the synagogue or the temple uh, to to see, hear, read the the scriptures. Yet somehow, this 15-year-old ninth grader named Mary, was so steeped in Scripture that when she would break out into praise, what naturally came to her lips were the very words of the Bible. Isn't that amazing that when she broke out in praise, that her words were right out of the Old Testament. Now, the first inference that we can make. An inference is when you take some information and you use that to figure out something else. The first inference we can make is that Mary knew the Bible, right? There's no question. There's no question. Mary knew the Bible, the Old Testament, in just an incredibly deep way. Mary knew the Bible. Now, how could this 15-year-old illiterate peasant girl know the Bible as well as she did? Well, here is our inference number two. 
Mary must have grown up in a home where she was saturated by talk of God's word. Since Mary couldn't read and Mary's family would not have had a copy of the Bible in their home, the Old Testament, it must be that mom and dad in the home so loved and cherished God's word that it made an impact on Mary's life. It must have been that Mary's parents took every opportunity to expose themselves and the whole family to God's word. It must be that they discussed in the home God's word every single day. It must be that with every circumstance, the family talked about how this was connected to God's word. That is the only way that Mary could have known scripture as well as she obviously knew scripture. Now this brings us to the uncomfortable question and you already know what it is, right? How many 15 year olds in our church know 1 Samuel, Zephaniah, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Job, Isaiah, and Malachi well enough to just spontaneously spout it off? How many do you think? How many 35-year-olds in our church know, know those books? How many 65-year-olds in our church know those so well? How many deacons? How many pastors in our church could do what Mary did? And you know, if we're just honest, none of us have an excuse. Every one of us here, we're literate. We can read. We can read well. We have Bibles. We have Bible apps. We have Bible videos. We have Bible audios. We have books about the Bible. Uh, we're a part of a church that works really, really hard to teach the Bible. Uh, we have all the time that we need. We say we don't, but everything you do in life, uh, it took 10 to 100 times more time for Mary and her family to do that. Uh, we have plenty of time. Now, my goal today is not to make you feel guilty uh, or to make me feel guilty. Uh, this is New Year's Day, so we're not talking about regrets with the past. We're talking about our opportunity for the future. I love that we're starting the new year in the church. And we're standing on the precipice of an incredible chance, an incredible opportunity to invest our lives in 2023 in God's word, to saturate our minds in God's word. What if we could recreate the same spiritual atmosphere in our homes as that which fostered Mary's love and knowledge of the Bible. Men, what if we could set an example and foster an atmosphere that led our wives and our children to being so saturated in God's word that they would spontaneously speak that word when things were good or when things were hard? Ladies, what if the most noted thing about you was your love for God's word? Parents, what if we created the perfect environment for our kids to know and love God's word? Grandparents, 
What if the thing your grandkids knew most about you was that you loved God's word and that you had a curiosity and a passion for God's word that grew stronger every day until you're gone? Students, what if you had a love for and an investment in God's word that created the foundation that would see you through life, career, and marriage. I want to give you, uh, and we'll be quick with this, but I want to give you five building materials for creating the atmosphere that I believe Mary experienced. Mary didn't grow up in a home like my home. I'm sorry to tell you. Mary didn't grow up in a home probably like your home. There was something special about her home. But it's not something that can't be true of my home. It's not something that can't be true of your home. So let me give you some quick building materials that in 2023, perhaps we can have the home that Mary grew up in. Building material number one. None of these are profound, but they're important. Number one, a Bible reading plan. Now, you've heard me, if you've been in our church very long at all, you've heard me talk about daily Bible reading a million times. There's not much more for me to say that I've not already said, but let me just give you some quick tips if daily Bible reading is going to be a part of your life in 2023. Number one, start. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes the perfect becomes the enemy. We want to wait till we have the perfect resource, the perfect book, the perfect plan, the perfect partner, the perfect time, the perfect pen so we can write in the perfect journal. So in all those things, if you like those things, that's great. We just need to start and start today, right? Read something today. Start. Number two, consistently reading less is way better than inconsistently reading more. If you read a hundred chapters of scripture once every other week, that is not nearly as valuable as reading a half a chapter every day. Okay? Now you can probably read more than a half a chapter, but I want you to hear this. It is more valuable to read less consistently than to read more occasionally. So focus your attention not on how much you're going to read, but on how you are going to read consistently in 2023. That'll be the key. Next, embrace a specific plan. If you're just going to open your Bible somewhere different every day and read, it'll be hard to ever have any consistency. Find a Bible plan. Uh, Google Bible reading plans if you want to. Uh, if, if you have a version app on your phone or you want to go to the uversion.com website, a lot of people get Bible reading plans. Or maybe you just read one chapter in the New Testament every day until you get to the end and you start over. It doesn't have to be a fancy plan, but you need a plan so you know what you're going to read today and what you're going to read tomorrow. And then finally, talk about your reading with your family. I bet you all the money in Mark McClendon's checking account <laughs> that 
Mary, her parents, talked about the scripture with the family every day. That is the only way she could have known what she knew. You ought to talk about your Bible reading every day. So number one, Bible reading. Number two, sermon exploration. Now, in addition to daily Bible reading, I'm asking you if we want to create this atmosphere that Mary enjoyed, I want to ask you once a week, at least once a week, to dive deeper into God's Word. And there are a lot of different ways you can do that. And if you've got your way, you do your way. But I want to help you in one very easy way if you don't have another way. And I'm calling that sermon exploration. Now, I spend a ton of time every week, most weeks, preparing my Sunday morning message. I read, I study, I pray, I assemble information, I organize it, uh, and then I preach on Sunday. And there's a lot more information than what I preach, uh, even in the manuscript that I write before I come out here to preach. I only preach about 60 to 70% of that. When people complain about the length of my sermons, <laughs> I don't always say it, but at least in the back of my mind, I, I'm thinking, listen, it could be a whole lot worse. <laughs> um, so I, there's a lot of stuff prepared and most most of it, nobody ever, nobody ever sees it. But I'm going to invest some more time this year to make it accessible and hopefully make it helpful so that if this is how you choose to do your once a week deeper dive, you could just go to the internet and pull up these resources to help you take the previous Sunday's message and dive a little deeper. In fact, I encourage you, on Sundays to make some notes when you have questions and when you're curious about something so that in your deep dive, you can find the answers. Now, don't email me all of your questions. <laughs> uh, this next week, I'm working on next week's message. But, but write them down and you can find the answer to the questions. And that'll be an opportunity for a deeper dive. Let me tell you what I'm going to put on the website every week. First of all, I'll put the manuscript and in outline form so it's easy to find what it is that you want to dig a little deeper on. Uh, each week, uh, I'm going to put some discussion questions up, and I'm going to walk you through this website here in just a moment. You may see it on the screen. I'm also going to give you some research, some material. Uh, for instance, as I think I've already said, I've got these 10, uh, 10 similarities between what Mary said and what Hannah said. They're fascinating. I wish I'd have had time to go over them. And then I'll give you some bonus material. Uh, this week, I even have the sermon in poem form. Now, I'm not a poet. I used a little artificial intelligence to create a poem, but there it is. You uh, like that kind of thing? It's there. Now, let me walk you through how to do this. Uh, I can show you this website. You just go to noeldeer.com. You can remember that, right? And then you click on sermons. And so there's uh, two buttons there. If you click on sermons, it'll take you to a page that looks something like this. Now, there's a place there to click to get to sermons prior to 2023, and that'll take you to my old system, which will eventually get converted over. But if you click on the name of today's sermon, and then it'll bring up this page. Now, each of those little yellow lines, there's a bunch of information underneath those that'll have all of this, uh, all of this research. And so they've clicked on the first one, and there you see the... Uh, 
the manuscript. Uh, I think if we click on another one, you'll see the discussion questions. There's all kind of information. There's probably 20 pages of information for this sermon. Uh, use that sermon exploration at least once a week. Whether you use this or not, use something to dig deeply into God's Word. Number three, very quickly, family devotions. Mary didn't have access to being able to read God's Word daily. She didn't have that. She didn't have a Bible sitting on her nightstand, and she couldn't have read if she would have had one. So how did she know God's Word? I think it was almost entirely because her family practiced family devotions. What I mean by family devotion is that her family got together every day, maybe multiple times a day, and they just talked about the Bible. And they may have had a fancy system, or maybe they just winged it. I don't know, but they talked about the Bible every day, family devotions. Now, I'll be honest, as your pastor, this has not been... Um, the strongest part of my spiritual walk. In fact, me and my oldest daughter had a conversation about it this, uh, this last week as uh, we talked about some of the attempts that we've made in our home as she grew up and some of the successes and failures and maybe more failures and successes. And it's a terrible thing when your kids get old enough that they can critique your parenting. Um, but listen, this isn't about regrets of the past. This is about an opportunity for the future. And I may not have had the perfect family devotion system to this point, but that doesn't mean I can't have one like Mary's home in 2023. And frankly, this isn't just something we do for our kids. Even if there are no kids in your home, listen, mom and dad, husband and wife, we ought to be having these family devotions. Now, I thought about taking a few minutes and explaining different models for family devotions, uh, but I'm not an expert at it, and we don't have time. So here's what we're going to do today. We've got these little books by Donald Whitney, a friend of mine. He is the leading living expert on Christian disciplines, a professor at Southern Seminary, and he has written a short book. This book has probably sold a million copies. It's very good, very popular, and it's simply called Family Worship. I think it's 88 pages long, and he walks through how it used to happen, how it can happen, why it's important, and how you can do it. Um, we're not trying to make any money here. We're selling them, though, in both lobbies uh, for $7.50. That's cheaper than you can get it off Amazon. We're just trying to recoup our cost on this. You can pay cash, check, credit card. You can just promise that when you get home, you'll make a contribution through our webpage. We'll make it easy for you because we trust you. But this will walk you through. Whether you have kids or not, this will walk you through how to have a family devotion. I'm sure you could get them at the local bookstore, Mustard Seed. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I know you can get them from Amazon. Uh, I think they're $9 at Amazon. Uh, I encourage you, read that book, Family Worship in the Bible, in History and in Your Home by Donald Whitney. Now, number four, uh, scripture memorization. I didn't want to put this in because I don't like to do it. Uh, just being honest with you. But I think that absolutely was a part of how Mary did this, right? She's quoting passages from Zephaniah 
Because she memorized Zephaniah. And she's quoting so much from the Psalms because she memorized the Psalms. So I know that people cringe when we talk about scripture memorization and we have our well-rehearsed excuses. I just don't have a mind that can memorize things. Uh, I just don't have the recall that I had when I was young. I just don't have the time necessary to memorize. Well, the truth is we're just lazy, right? While some people I'm sure can memorize faster or more than others, uh, we can all memorize. So here, church, I want to challenge you. Let's memorize one verse a week. Uh, I'm going to put, we're going to put in the worship guide every week, a verse. You'll see it on the bottom here, Psalm 48. That's our verse for the week. Let's memorize one verse a week. All of us can do this. In a year, we'll have 50 verses, new verses. In 10 years, we'll have 500 new verses. I'm getting these, we're getting these verses from a system called Fighter, F-I-G-H-T-E-R, Fighter Verses. And so they have an app on your phone, and it'll just pull up the same verse that we're going to give you every week. And it'll give you games to play and memorization activities. It'll really help you learn it. Or just get it out of the verse, out of the worship guide every week. Let's memorize one verse a week. How do you do that? Believe in the value of God's word and the value of memorizing God's word. Work a little bit every day and partner with someone. Now, the last thing, we need a stretch goal. So if we're going to read our Bibles every day, one time a week we're digging deep into something. Maybe you're working through a study book that you have and maybe even one of our classes here at the church is leading you through a deeper study. At least once a week, sermon exploration, you're going deep. And then we're doing our family devotions. We're talking about this at home with our wives, our husbands, our kids, if they're there. We're doing the scripture memorization. Here's the last thing. Let's stretch. If this is so important to us, Let's this year, 2023, if the Lord tarries, let's do something big. Let's, let's have one big hairy goal that we can strive for to be more Bible saturated this next year. Let's do something we've never done before. Now you come up with whatever you want to do. There's no assignment, uh, but you find something that for you will be a stretch. Now, if you do this, don't let this puff you up. You're not more spiritual than someone who doesn't. You don't love God more than someone else. And God doesn't love you more than he loves somebody else. But let's do this. For the honor of the Lord, to supercharge our affections for the Lord, and to encourage others and leave a legacy, let's do something extraordinary. Let's have a stretch goal. Now, I'm going to give you some ideas. And these are on that website that we looked at a moment ago. Uh, and, and maybe nobody will do any of these things, but maybe these will spark some ideas with you. Uh, I'll give them to you. I have four books I recommend, and they're going to go from the easiest to read to the hardest. And like I said, these are all on the website. But the easiest to read, Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Oh, that'd be a great book for a lot of people in our church to read. Uh, the next one, David Saxton's God's Battle Plan for the Mind, the Puritan Practice of Biblical Meditation. It's an easy book to read. It's easier than the title would suggest. Help you really get deep in your walk with the Lord. 
A little harder to read Tim Keller's prayer, experiencing awe and the intimacy of God. That'll challenge your prayer life. A little harder to read, like I said, but it's worth it. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, if you just really want to read a a, a thick, thick book, uh, that would be a good one to read. So maybe read a book that you wouldn't have read otherwise. Next, in addition to your other daily Bible reading, I've done this some years, read the book of Proverbs 12 times this year. Don't let this be all of your Bible reading, but the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. There are 30, 31 days in most months. So whatever the day of the month is, you read that proverb before you go to bed at night, perhaps. If it's the 12th of the month, read Proverbs 12. If you do that, you'll read it a dozen times by the end of the year. How about this? What if you memorized all of Romans 8? There's not a better passage of scripture to memorize that'll just set your heart on fire than Romans 8. What if you memorize this year the entire chapter? How about this? Rewrite some of the Psalms. And I've seen this make just an unbelievable difference in people's walk with Christ. What if every week of 2023, you summarized and rewrote a Psalm? Maybe this week you take Psalm 1 and you just put it in your own words. You spend some time on it. That'll be an easy one, be a good place to start. Maybe next week you do Psalm 19 and you just rewrite that in your own words. And you do one a week, oh, it'll set your heart on fire. Uh, Maybe you'd start work on a college degree uh, on the Bible through some online university or seminary. Maybe you, and this will be perfect for some people, I've never done this, but I've heard people talk about what an impact it makes. What if you hand wrote the gospel of John? You're not summarizing it. You're just, you get a journal and you just write the entire gospel of John. It'll slow you down and you'll learn things that you've never seen before. It'll be a devotional experience. Maybe you pick, well, I've got a whole list. I won't go through all of them. They're all online. Uh, My goal this year, it's always my goal to be able to preach better this year than I preached last year, to be able to explain things better. And um, one of the things I want to do is to be able to communicate the way people think about the world is changing. It's always changing. Uh, So I want to be able to communicate in a way that resonates with the neo-postmodernism way of thinking. And uh, so I've committed to reading 25 books on apologetics and worldview this year. I've already picked out the first 12. I've already started the first two. Um, I think that'll challenge my faith and help me be a better teacher. Let's set some goal that is a stretch goal. The purpose of all of this is that we might saturate our lives with God's word like Mary's life was saturated with God's word. I'm sure you've heard people say, if you cut him, he bleeds purple and white. You know, he's such an SFA fan. If you you cut him, he bleeds maroon and white. Uh, Big Texas A&M fan. Well, listen, if you cut Mary, she bleeds Bible verses. I mean, that's obvious when you look at the Magnificat. She just, that's what was in her. For me and my house, that's what I want in 2023. I heard John Maxwell speak a bunch of years ago. Some of you will know who that is, a productivity business guy. He used to be a pastor and um, 
he doesn't speak much now. He's a little older, but he used to be one of the, you know, big inspirational speakers that people would go and hear. And, and, and he was speaking one time about what do you do first? And he was talking about this from a business perspective. But he said a lot of people struggle with this. He said some people say you should do the easy things first because you build some momentum and it helps you through the day. Some people say you should do the hard things first. And if you're in the business world, I know you've read Brian Tracy's Eat That Frog. It's just that philosophy that, that you do the hardest thing first. Uh, he said some people say you should do the routine things first. So you just sort of clean the, clear the plate so you can get started. Some people say you should do the fun things first to ignite your passion. He said some people say you should do the late things first. Start with what you didn't get done yesterday. But he said none of that's true. He said you ought to do the first things first. He said, and he's talking about a business context, but he says, you ought to sit down and you ought to figure out what are the things that I could do that would make the biggest impact. He said, those are the first things. Do the first things first. It's a new year. Everybody's got their plans and that's good. Everybody wants you know, better family, better finances, better health, all of that's good. I'm for all of that. But let's do the first things first. What are the things that are going to have the biggest impact on our lives and the lives of everybody around us? It's being saturated in God's word and having a home like the home that Mary grew up in. That's the first thing. Let's do that. Head bowed, eyes closed. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful that we're blessed to live in a time where we own Bibles and we have the ability to read them. Father, help us to embrace this great blessing. Help us this year to put first things first and to have homes saturated by God's word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.